All right. If you have your Bibles, 1 King, we're going to be in the 17th chapter of 1 King. We're going to be first seven verses, verses 1 to 7. If you don't um, happen to have your Bible with you, we have it on the screen. Let me read for us. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, Ahab was a king, an evil king. Elijah was a prophet, and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. This is after Elijah speaks this powerful word to confront the evil king. And God says, depart from here, turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Not lunch, just breakfast and dinner. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Elijah, last year, so every year at the end of the year, uh, myself and elders, we prayed through, hey, what are we going to teach on in the upcoming year? And we knew our theme was going to be this idea of grit and building resilience as Christians. So we really felt like during the next calendar year, we want to spend some time studying the life of prophet Elijah. Uh, so we're going to be here for the next five, six weeks, not just myself, but other elders will be teaching about the life of uh, Elijah. I titled it Resilience Unveiled. You guys are like, what does that mean? It, it, it means what it means. It, it took me a while, guys. I, I try, I'm trying to be creative. Coming out of vacation, I'm like, what's a catch title, right? This, I, I really feel like when you study the life of Elijah, it's really about life of someone who's resilient. Uh, Elijah, whose name means my God is Yahweh. Right? Like, you know, like you're PK, you have a very PK name, like Boaz. You're a Korean-American guy named Boaz. Everyone knows you're PK. Well, Elijah, everybody knows what he's doing, right? Because my God is Yahweh. That's his name. And Elijah is perhaps the greatest prophet we know throughout Scripture. Elijah is not only referred in the Old Testament, but also he shows up in the New Testament, He's a towering figure of, of the scripture, and his legacy spans across centuries and linking the prophetic tradition of the past, the fulfillment of God's plan in the coming of Christ. I mean, he's all over scripture. John the Baptist comes, and Jesus says he's like one of Elijah. Jesus is transfigured, Elijah shows up. Elijah's all over scripture. And he's, a, he's this amazing, mighty prophet. We know stories of him battling prophets of Baal and winning and, and taunting and all these amazing stories. Yet when we take a closer look at Elijah's life, next six weeks we'll see, despite his extraordinary experiences and these, this powerful ministry, we see a man who's dealt with similar struggles that you and I face each day. In fact, James 5 there's a letter in, in the New Testament called James. 
In, in chapter 5, James reminds us that Elijah, this great prophet, was a man with a ni- nature like ours. With his own experiences of fear, doubt, mistrust. There's a time in Elijah's life where he just wanted to be done with ministry. He just wanted to call it quits. And we see throughout this story, God being ever so patient with someone like Elijah. So I think he's much more relatable than we think. And since this is the first part of a six-part series, let me just set the table for us by giving us a few important backgrounds about Elijah. Elijah ministered during a pivotal time in the history of Israel, a time of political intrigue, idolatry, and nation Israel was really in a bad shape in many, many ways. We know King David, right? After King David, there's this guy named King Solomon. After the death of King Solomon, the nation Israel was divided into two different kingdoms. That's why you hear these names of kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, and the kingdom of the north is called Israel. It's confusing. Nation Israel, two kingdoms. Northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And because there was an infighting and there was because of there was all these idolatry and different things, the nation was divided into two different kingdoms. And Elijah was called to serve the northern kingdom of Israel. And by the time Elijah enters the story of God in 1 Kings chapter 17, there was a new king in the northern kingdom named Ahab. That's the guy we saw in verse 1. Elijah approaches Ahab. And, and, and Ahab, just like all other seven kings, there, was a seven, there were seven kings since the death of Solomon. Nation was divided. There were seven kings in, in, in probably like 80-some years span. There's many kings in short time, right? Because kings wanted to reign forever. They were all evil. With each, each king become more evil and more wicked than the previous king. First Kings 16, a chapter before our passage, 30, says, Ahab, the son of this other king, did more evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. Things got from, became from bad to worse to by the seventh king Ahab. I mean, things were... Things are falling off the wheels. This King Ahab, if you, if you don't know, he, he marries this queen called Jezebel, a foreign princess who promoted the worship of Baal. This, this lady brought the worship of Baal to people of God. And, and this, this man Ahab persecuted and murdered many of God's prophets. And he was known for his greed and injustice. So by chapter 16, verse 34 of 1 Kings, God has seen enough. And, and their wickedness, Ahab's wickedness had reached its breaking point. So chapter 17, our passage, verse 1, God sends Elijah to confront this king. And what's really interesting about Elijah is we're not provided very much information, very, very many facts about Elijah's life. We are given no record of how he grew up, Nothing is said of his parents, nor of his previous life. We don't even know which tribe he really belongs to. Only thing we know is that he grew up in this region of Gilead. Everyone say Gilead. Two people? Come on, on, guys. I came came back from vacation, not you guys. Gilead, right? And and this Gilead, what we know about Gilead, uh, through the helps of scholars, that Gilead was no easy place to 
to live. It was tough, hilly, and the terrain made people just naturally tough and resilient. And perhaps Elijah, from his young age, learned how to be resilient. Perhaps that's why he was able to survive the brook and, and, the, and the experiences. But that's all we know about Elijah. Not, not really where he's, which tribe, how did he grow up. Very interesting. And in verse 1 in chapter 17, our passage, Elijah comes out of nowhere. Just no introduction. Elijah shows up to the scene. And he faces this King Ahab, an evil king of the northern kingdom, with a message from God. And the message is very short and not sweet. (laughs) Verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. I mean, think about the consequences of drought today. Think about consequences of drought back in those days, right, where everybody depended on like being farmers and produce. And any pronouncement, if you look at Scripture in Old Testament, any pronouncement of a drought, of no rain, really symbolized God's judgment against their actions. The withholding of dew and rain would have, would have had devastating consequences in everyone's lives. And Elijah shows up to this evil, powerful king, and he says, your time is up. God's patient have run out. And until you repent, until the nation, the northern kingdom repents, there's going to be no more rain. And then verse 2 and 3, story quickly shifts. Verse 2 and 3, another message arrives. Immediately after this encounter between Elijah and Ahab, another message, God calls Elijah and God says what? God says, immediately run. He says, run and hide. See, Ahab made his mark by what? By murdering God's prophets. And Elijah was next on his hit list. So God says, good job. That was a good message. You you did right. But now you got to run. You got to hide because your life is in danger. Notice, Elijah has done everything God had told him to do up to verse 2. He's done well to stand up against this terrible king, yet God says, you've got to run for your life now. Not only live town, but go to this random brook by east of Jordan, and you've got to somehow survive there, drink from there, and, and to make it, make it even worse, I'm going to send you ravens morning and night to provide for you. Could you imagine what Elijah must be thinking at this time, like receiving this message? I mean, Scripture doesn't tell us, but if I was Elijah, I'd be like, God, what? Like, I I did this? I I, I faced this evil king? I told him your message, and you're going to send me to where? Middle of, like, Alabama? This brook? And I'm going to hang out here until how long? Drink water from here? And and ravens? You're going to send me ravens? And no lunch, just breakfast and dinner? That's what I was thinking. Probably not the message Elijah expected to hear from God in verse 2. You know, a few weeks ago, before before I went on uh, my trip, we were in Psalm 73. 
And wasn't this Asaph's complaint in Psalm 73, right? Psalm 73, there's a complaint against God. And this godly man, this worship leader, he complains against God in Psalm 73, right? Asaph looks back at a time of personal crisis and he writes honestly about a time where he almost walked away from his faith because he saw that wicked people seemed to be doing better than himself. And Elijah... The prophet of God, the obedient prophet of God does everything God asks him to do and he has to be on the run being fed by ravens where this evil king is enjoying his life in this nice palace. So one thing that we have noticed in this story right away is Elijah ends up by the brook ends up in a challenging and hard place, not because of his disobedience. We, we know stories of many God's people who's done, who's disobeyed God and end up in the wrong place, i.e. Jonah. But, but Elijah's different. He's done everything right, and he is by the brook. Anyone relate to Elijah? Anyone in your season feel like, hey, Lord, I thought you called me to this country. I thought you called me to this job. I thought you called me to this marriage. I thought you gave me this spouse. When we got married, I was convinced that this person was a gift from you. But now, I don't know. Living, you call, I thought you called me to this country, this city. I moved my whole family. And I've been here for like two months and I hate it. I hate the culture. I hate the pace of life. Right? Whatever it is, you may feel like, man, I know how Elijah feels because I feel like I've done what God has called me to do, but I'm at one of these brooks of life where I just feel like I don't deserve this. Right? Life at times can feel like we're by, like Elijah. We're by the brooks waiting for ravens to drop off food. Because the question that we all, we all assume or, 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 or the things that we all assume when we obey God is shouldn't our obedience to God make our lives better, not more difficult? Yeah? That's, that's what I think. When I obeyed God, when I planted this church, obeying God, I was like, God, it's going to be amazing. And it is amazing, but not amazing like I thought it was going to be amazing. Shouldn't obeying God make life less complicated? Shouldn't obeying God Make life more, com- more comfortable for us? Yet if we read through the stories in old, both Old and New Testament, the scriptures filled with stories of God's people ending up in a hard and difficult places because of their obedience. Right? Mark 6, the disciples. This is a very interesting story. I, I find this story very interesting, right? Jesus after feeding this whole crowd, collecting the leftover, immediately tells his disciples, hey guys, get on the boat and go on your way. I'll meet you at the other side of the city. I'm going to pray, but I'll I'll go after you. So sends his disciples away and his disciples, they're happy, they're excited, they get on the boat and as soon as they get on the boat, what happens? They run into this crazy storm. That's the story of these disciples. That's the story of Jeremiah. He's put in prison for obeying God. That's the story of Apostle Paul, all the things he's experienced as an apostle, as a servant of God. 
I mean, I don't even have to mention about Job. Job's life. Right? Numerous examples of people that were faithful, they were obedient, but they end up in a brook waiting for ravens to feed them. So I think one, one thing that we can glean from our passage is this idea of us realizing that when we find ourselves in our own brooks of life, I, I, don't be surprised. All the brooks of lives that we face as Christians are not there to harm us, are not there because we have disobeyed. Some are, yes, but many of the things that we experience are part of our Christian journey. So then the, 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 this begs the next question. Why does God call his people to the brook like Elijah in our story? Why, why would God call Elijah, do these things, and then send him away to run and hide and wait for ravens to feed him? Why call you and I to places that we do not want to be in? What's the reason? Friends, I hope we can catch this. There are times, I've experienced this myself, and many of you guys have experienced this yourselves, there are times God will call you and I to places that we may not want to be in in order to produce something in us that we cannot attain on our own. I've said this before through different sermons, but can you actually repeat after me? Because I think this is so important, right? There are times... <laughs> you guys on vacation mode right now? Come on, let's, we can do better. There are times, a little better, God will call us to places we may not want to be in. That could be a marriage. That could be your workplace. That could be living in this country. That could be something else. In order to produce something in us that we cannot attain on our own. You see, Elijah's time by the brook serves as a critical period of training and dependence on God. This is the beginning of Elijah's story, right? Chapter 17, verse 1 is the beginning of his story. And we'll see quickly as Elijah's story unfolds for the next several weeks... The, uh, the amazing things that Elijah will be able to do through his trust in Yahweh. This is just the beginning. Brook is his training ground. Yet before he brings fire down from the sky to defeat the prophets of Baal in this epic battle, before he could taunt those prophets and say, yo, what this, what this altar, right? You, you, you hang out. Where, where's your God? Is he on vacation? Before he could do all of this taunting and, and this, this faithful man, Elijah shows up, he is called to the brook to wait on ravens. And by the, it's by the brook waiting on ravens, Elijah's faith and commitment to God is renewed and restored and forged. In the same way, friends, it is often through the brooks of our lives God builds our trust in Him. It is often through our time by the brooks our grit, our resilience, our trust in God is renewed. For Elijah, I mean, imagine being middle of nowhere in the wilderness. Like this May, I was in Mongolia on a vision trip so we can prepare for this trip. 
we were in this, we were in Mongolia, this national park last day, traveling through, and we, we had a one night there, and literally like silence. It was so scary. Like I, I forgot living in Seoul how scary darkness was. Because I think in Seoul, we're, things are never dark. Mongolia, I, I was in the middle of this national park, no light. So quiet. Like I, I got scared. I, I don't like silence. Imagine Elijah in the solitude of the wilderness, right? It became the classroom where he he learned to discern the voice of God clearly. I think the challenge for most Christians is not that God doesn't speak to us. Because when I sit down with you and we grab coffee and you want to talk to me, hey, Pastor, I I don't know what God is teaching me through this or I don't know where God is calling me. And I tell them, the problem is that God is not speaking to us. The problem is that God is not speaking to me. The problem is we have a hard time discerning the voice of God. We got too much going on, not only in our lives, in our schedule, but in our own heads. So it is important that God calls you and I to places that we may not want to be in so that we can hear His voice and discern whether this is God and this is not. Amen? Thank you, Daniel. I love, I, love, I love you, bro. I love you, bro. Amen? So verse 5 and 6, Elijah does exactly what God tells him to do. Right? He's not complaining like Jonah. He's not like Job. He, Elijah just goes. I've, maybe he's learned this lesson before. Maybe he was in this brook before. We don't know. That exactly does what God tells him to do. He went and lived by the brook east of Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening. As some of us who grew up in the church hearing this story in Sunday school, right? We don't think about it anymore, but I mean, like, if you think about ravens, like, why ravens? There are a hundred different ways that God could deliver Elijah food. Like, he gave manna. He just let manna fall from the sky for the Israelites. Why ravens? I mean, like, anyone, anyone, have, anyone know ravens? Like, why ravens? I don't know anything about ravens until this sermon prep. I, now I found out a little bit more about ravens. Ravens are highly intelligent birds. They're actually really smart, so they could actually do this. They're known for their remarkable cognitive abilities, but one thing they're not, this is very interesting, one thing they're not, they are not reliable they're the least reliable bird in, in the whole bird species no raven is delivering messages for anybody they're actually opportunistic feeders and scavengers ravens are actually known for their ability to hide food this is fascinating ravens their one skill is they have this unique ability to be able to hide food right so a behavior that requires them to remember the location of their hidden stashes. These are not your friendly neighborhood birds. They're greedy, smart scavengers. Yet God chooses ravens, perhaps. Why? To remind Elijah. What else? Why else? Why ravens, right? To remind Elijah if God wants to use these scavengers to provide for him food in the morning, food at night, he will do it. And even the ravens will not deny the creator. God chooses ravens, at least I think God chooses ravens to make sure Elijah understood that God is the ultimate provider. 
Like imagine if God said, hey, go, go, go fish, go hunt. And Elijah was successful. Elijah could be like, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty good hunter. Maybe I should, my second career, I should be a hunter. Maybe I should be a fisherman. No, God says, no, don't, do not do anything. Just wait for these ravens to deliver you food in the morning and at night. By sending ravens, God, is, God wants to make sure Elijah understood that everything you have, everything that you eat today is provided by me and no one else. In a culture that emphasizes self-sufficiency and dependence, I think ravens are wonderful reminders for us as well. In the same way God provided for Elijah, God is the one who provides for us. So about two years ago, uh, out of COVID, our building was completely shut. The building we were meeting in were completely shut down. And elders at the time, uh, we were looking for a new place. And this place came up, and, and there's another story. This place was like a miracle for us. Uh, this place came up. And about two years ago, we were preparing for the move from Wangshimni to here. And it was a lot of moving parts, like moving our stuff and being able to work with staff here to make sure we can share this building because there's a Korean church that meets here earlier. And at that time, like a week before we had to move, I was on my second back surgery in the span of three weeks. Like I literally could not, I remember Weldon, I asked Weldon pick me up to like drive me to the hospital. I literally could not walk. I was in so much, I had this um, ruptured disc, and the way my disc is shaped, it's, it's weird, so the first procedure didn't work, so I had to have two surgeries, and I remember thinking, God, why now? Like, we have so much to do, we have to move the whole church, and I was literally bedridden for about two weeks, and I remember, like, stressing out, how are we going to move, how are we going to do this, there's so much going on, and I remember just laying down in my bed, just not being able to do anything. And, 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 and saying, God, you got to do it. And I remember God showing me right through that experience, telling me, don't worry, right? You're not the pastor of the church because you're capable or because you're, you're good. You're the pastor of the church because I called you. And really, you don't have to worry because I got it. I'm going to handle this. And I remember through that experience of just me being bedridden and us moving, and it was a wonderful job by our church. And I'm thinking, wow, God really does have his hand on this church. I'm reminded through these, 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 these lessons, time after time. In the same way, friends, I want to encourage you, whatever you're facing today, whatever you identify as a brook of your life, I want to encourage you, God has you. Just like God had Elijah, God has you. God knows exactly what you need, even more than what you need. God knows. I I know what you want. That's a little different. What you want. And God might not give you what you want, but God will give you what you need. Like Elijah could have said, hey God, ravens, I'm I'm not a bird person. Can can you send me some some, some other bears? Elijah could have said, you know, God, spend maybe three months here and then I'll go back. No. Elijah, God was in total control. God knew exactly what Elijah needed and God provided. Amen?
in your season, in your struggle, as you're sitting by the brook and waiting for the ravens, remind yourself. Because it can get frustrating. Imagine, I mean, imagine being Elijah, so frustrating. Every day waiting and ravens come. You can't have a small talk with these ravens. I mean, they just drop off food and they go, right? All alone. Yet, yet, remind yourself that God's got me. God knows what I need. Luke 12, very interesting. A large crowd has gathered to hear Jesus. And Jesus opens up his vision for this new kingdom through parables and new ideas of how we ought to live. And in the middle of this very important sermon in Luke 12, in verse 24, Jesus says this and I hope we don't miss it. Luke 12, 24. It's on the screen. He says, consider the who? The ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. No stock options. No crypto. No savings account. No pension. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more values, valuable are you than the birds? How much more are you more valuable than the ravens? I think he uses the example of ravens, one, to illustrate that God cares for you more than the birds, yes. But two, remember, Jesus is speaking to a crowd that's mostly Jews, who were very familiar with the story of Elijah and how Elijah survived the brook that's east of Jordan. Jesus is saying to the crowd, don't forget how God provided for the great prophet Ezekiel, Elijah. Ezekiel is probably next year. Elijah. And if the great Elijah had to wait on ravens, don't be surprised when God calls you to wait on him. Friends, 1 Kings 17, our passage, our story here is really a challenge for, for all of us who are in Christ. As those in Christ, the question I feel like 1 Kings 17 is, is confronting us is that do you really trust God? Do you really trust God? I think it's much easier to assume we do. I think it's easier to sing songs about the fact that we do. It's easier to think that we do. Yet really, we won't know until we find ourselves, just like Elijah, by the brook waiting for ravens. As you, struggle, as, you, as you walk through struggles in your marriage, struggles at work, struggles about concerns about your future, anxiety and doubt, in those moments, how we deal with those moments Will, will reveal to us whether we do genuinely trust God to provide for us. And, and really, my encouragement is trust Him with your marriage, even in the most challenging moments that might test you. I remember first three years of marriage, I was like, Lord, I married the wrong woman. <laughs> or my wife's like, I married the wrong guy. <laughs> Right? I remember thinking, what? 
right? Just so different. We're so different in so many, so many things. I remember when we planted this church year three, things were falling off the wheels and COVID and so much drama, thinking, God, I don't think you call me. I, I'm good. I'm done. I'm good. Let, let, me do, let me sell cars. I'm good. Let me do something else. I remember thinking, God, I don't think you call me. But, but for friends, it, it's, it's, it's tempting to assume, well, God didn't call me. No, God did call you. Just because things got, car, got hard doesn't mean God did not call you. God did call you. It's time to, to put our foot down and, 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 and endure and wait on the Lord. And, and, and remind you that God is at work. Whether you see it or not, God is at work. Just as ravens were sent to Elijah, rest assured, they're coming for you too. Let's end with this. Elijah's story reminds us of someone else whose obedience to God led him to perhaps the most devastating brook of all of scripture. Yet very different from Elijah's story in our passage. This man who was obedient to God he wasn't provided for. That unlike Elijah, God did not provide for him. Instead, God called him to be the provision. Jesus, our Savior, wholeheartedly committed himself to follow God's unwavering call. And even when he meant to give up his own life for us, as Paul so eloquently wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the one who knew no sin, Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become what? Righteousness of God. He did that for you. He did that for me. So again, whenever you find yourself in these brooks of life, yes, it's comfortable. Yes, it makes us anxious. But be encouraged. Because God wants to draw you to himself through these seasons. Amen? Let's pray together. Um, at this time, I, I just want to pray for any of you guys who are struggling. So if you could just, um, if that's you, just put your hand in your heart and let me just pray for you. Uh, and, 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 and I hope God will really encourage you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Let, let me just pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this reminder that not all brooks of life are there to harm us or hurt us. Instead, uh, for many of us, you are taking us to these places to draw us to yourself. And I pray for courage uh, and, and especially those that have placed their hands in their hearts uh, to know, Lord, uh, that you, you see them. That would you encourage them? That you know them. You hear their cries. You know what they need. So Holy Spirit, would you comfort us? Would you encourage us? Would you remind us? Would you strengthen us? Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Just let me pray. Amen.